WGBB Sports Talk Flashback. My next guest this evening coached the New York Islanders to four consecutive Stanley Cup championships from 1980 through 1983 and is regarded as one of the NHL's all-time great coaches. He's also the second winningest NHL coach of all time with 783 career regular season wins. It's my pleasure to welcome Al Arbor to the program. How are you doing tonight, Al? Very good, thank you. Al, of course, there's a lot to talk about with your, your coaching career and all, but I'm not so sure that everyone knows that you were a longtime defenseman in the National Hockey League, and, and some people may not know that you won a few cups as a player in the league as well. Well, I was very fortunate. I wasn't any good, but, I mean, I, I uh, won four Stanley Cups, and I, I played for Detroit, I played for Chicago, and two in Toronto, and I was very fortunate. Did you have any memories from those teams? I mean, I imagine you could have used those experiences as a player going through what was needed to win a cup and taking that with you later on when you were a coach in the league. Well, I remember when I played for, when I first started with Detroit, I was mean, Gordy Howe, and uh, I used to play for the Windsor Spitfires. I used to play for the, the Spitfires, and I was at a game when I was a young kid. My first year, I, I was playing for Hetchies at the time, and the first game I saw was Montreal against Detroit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bill Vernon switched hands when the Gordie Howe came on the on, on the left side or right side, I forget. It was the right or the left side. Right. He switched hands, and Vernon threw the stick in the other hand. <laughs> so I'll never make it in the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> the first time you'd so seen that, huh? <laughs> uh, I'll never make it. Did winning the cup, though, being on those cup-winning teams, still you were a player on the team and in the locker room, did some of those experiences help you later on in your coaching career? I think it helped. Uh, there's no question about it. It certainly helped. It didn't hurt me. Uh, and I think that uh, I had some good coaches, and especially Scotty Bowman was a very good coach in St. Louis, and he, I started in St. Louis as a coach there. Right. I know he was a, a, a guy that was influential in you becoming a coach. During your playing career, had you ever had thoughts of, of becoming a coach, or was it maybe later in your career that it first kind of dawned on you that that might be something you wanted to do? Well, later in my career, I started in Rochester with Joe Crozier, and I was in the Rochester before I went to St. Louis. And I started getting the, you know, and Joe wasn't there. He was doing a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I used to coach the team when I, he wasn't there. And I got the bug for the coaching at time at, at that time. Of course, you started your coaching career in St. Louis after playing for Scotty Bowman. And then a year after the Alders entered the league, uh, their general manager, Bill Torrey, comes to you and asks you to coach the Alders. And I guess at the time you didn't know very much about Long Island. No, I didn't. Uh, I really didn't know too much about Long Island, but I started off really uh, uh, when I was in uh, uh, Rochester. I, I I was drafted by the St. Louis Blues. Right. And uh, Scotty Bowman made me the coach there. And I didn't know too much about coaching, but uh, I started when I was in, in Rochester coaching a little bit. When Joe was busy uh, working with the uh, other things uh, in hockey, involved in hockey, and when he got sick the one time, I took over the team. Right. So that's how I got bug for coaching. Right. You were in, in St. Louis for a couple of years, and I guess what got you to, to make the switch and, and come to Long Island and, and take a chance with what was a, you know, a brand-new team in the league at the time? Well, I, I, don't, I don't really know. Uh, I mean, they had a good nucleus, but who knew back then what it would turn out to be, I guess, at that time? Well, you, you, we didn't know that. Nobody knew that, and uh, you're not a, we're not a mind-reader or nothing like <laughs> sure, that. Sure, sure. Certainly, they, they played very well, and... Uh, we uh, we we uh, made our, our mark in anyway. Well, you had some tough years on the island in the beginning, but uh, I barely can remember. I'm barely old enough to remember. In, in 1975, I know the team had put together a real solid year. Uh, you guys were led by guys like Potvin and, and Gillies, and Chico Resch was the goaltender at the time. And and that was a season that it seemed that the team started to turn a corner a little bit. 
Well, there's no question about it. We did start to turn the corner, and I, I knew right then when with Howard Meister and, and uh, with Pod Van, and, and we we had some great players, and we had some some gr- gritty players. And I figured that right now we're going to start to, to make our move, and we started to come across. We made some trades, and we got JP and that Juwan from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. He really helped our team, and uh, Parisi scored the winning goal against the Rangers when we started off, and it actually really gave us a boost right there. We made the draft picks that year, too. Yeah, that season, I know, of course, as you mentioned, J.P. Parisi's goal with 11 seconds into overtime in the, in the round against the Rangers. And, and what I also remember that year was you guys being down three games to none to the Penguins and then coming around to win four straight. And at the time, I think that had only been done once before in the playoffs. Well, uh, we were very fortunate. We came back, but uh, in Philadelphia, we were down 3 nothing. We came back and we tied him 3-3. And uh, what's-his-name score? Uh, came over to sing the, uh, the seventh game the national anthem for the seventh game, Kate Smith. Uh-huh, and right. he stood in, in Chico Rex's goal crease, and he was, really shook him up. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> we would have won that series. But, you know, they got, all, they got all the goals right at the first minute, right? A couple of minutes in the game. Right, right. And, uh, and Chico got his, uh, his nerve back, and uh, he was upset because they got in the goal crease. He was singing in the goal crease. Do you think they did that on purpose? Uh, I don't think they knew about it. But, uh, <laughs> he had, you know, all the goaltenders are a little different in those days. Sure. You often hear how people say that teams have to lose first to get that experience to kind of learn how to win. How do you as a coach take something like a tough playoff loss and, and then turn it into something that a team can grow from? Well, I, it was certainly a, a tough playoff loss, and I started thinking about, uh, you know, all the losses we've had, and uh, I had to change my, uh, my, my philosophy, I guess, and I started thinking dreaming and everything else at the cottage back at home, mm-hmm. and I started thinking of what to do, and... Uh, I was really tough on my players at the beginning, and I tested them and everything else. And, and I knew certain guys that you could re- really get on their backs; it wouldn't bother. And other people, you couldn't say anything to them. And I changed a little bit, and uh, we won on this kind of cup from then on. And I guess different guys require kind of a different Al Arbor to get the most out of them. Is that what your it's philosophy was? Different. Changing a little bit. Well, I think my philosophy changed a little bit, but also that you have to know what the players wanted. Some guys you have to pat on the back, some guys you have to kick in the rear end and get going, you know. Sure. So I have to know that uh, to do a good job. Now, you guys win the first cup in 1980 on Nystrom's uh, famous overtime goal against the Flyers. Now, the tradition is that, uh, you know, of course, the team gets to spend some time with the cup. Uh, what did you do with the cup when it was your turn? I think we had it for a couple of weeks at, uh, at the house, and the people come over to see us in the backyard. Right. We had it for about a week, and the people came over, and we took pictures and all that with the cup, and uh, I don't remember too much about that. This is going <laughs> back a long time. Would you say that first cup was the sweetest for you guys, being that uh, the team had struggled for so many years? I think so. There's no question about that. We won it uh, in about six, seven years, and we won our first cup, and I think the first cup is always the nicest one as mm-hmm. a player and as a coach, too. You win the four cups, and, and you retire at the end of the 85-86 season, and you eventually come back to coach only a few years later. At the time, did you think you needed a break, or you thought somewhere in the back of your head that you might return to coaching again? No, I didn't think I was going to come back to coach. I was in Florida at the time, and I got the call from Bill Torrey to come and help us out. I said, well, I don't think so. <laughs> and I didn't want to take over. And I said, well, uh, well, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Now, were you working for the team as a scout or something or still in the school? Uh, at the time, I was working for, for the team as a scout, yeah. During that second term, I think the highlight of that 
uh, tenure with you as coach was uh, the 92-93 season when the team wasn't really expected to do very much and, and you guys end up going all the way to the conference finals. In some ways, I think that might have been your best job coaching taking that team so far. Well, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh was really stacked up. That, that, that we beat them in overtime. The Volick, David Volick got the winning goal against right. Pittsburgh. And, mm-hmm. and we had a great team, great players that year. You know, the, the guys that came through for us. Uh, you know, they weren't real good players, but they really came through for us. They did what they had to do. Right, I mean, you were, led by, you were led by Turgeon, but then you had guys like Derek King and, and guys like that, that uh, or Steve Thomas at top line. Guys, I don't know if you want to say they had career years, but everything seemed to fall into place that year for you guys. Yeah, but a lot of guys, you you, you take the the Mullen, the Cullen brothers, the Mullen brothers, right? And we had we had the kid; he just came back, and uh, we had some guys that really did a lot. Wazel, nobody heard about him; he checked a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody heard about the, uh, the guy that scored the winning goal. Valak, yeah. Check Slovakia. Yeah, Valak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and nobody heard about him. And uh, they they played great. I mean, I can't say enough about the team. We had some injuries too. Pierre Churchill didn't play against us. Right, uh, of course, the Dale Hunter hit. Sure, that Dale. Yeah, the Dale Hunter hit. Right. He played against Montreal, but he didn't play against uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, we won the game. So uh, who knows? You never know in this game. It's funny, I, I had an opportunity to speak to Turgeon uh, right after he retired a few years back, and I remember one of the things he said to me when I asked him about you is how you made him a better player. From, from an individual coaching standpoint, how, how would you describe your style? I know you could be tough on some guys. You mentioned a little bit earlier how you had to change your style based on different people, but, but how would you describe your style as a coach when it came to, to one-on-one coaching with guys? Well, I tried to understand it for the first couple of months. I tried to figure him out, and I used to really, really give him and I found out who the, who I could pat on the back and who I could really give it to right. without hurting the team. And that's when I got to know my players individually and collectively very, very well. And I think that the knowledge really helped me. With the Olympics going on right now, everyone reminiscing about the, the Team USA in 1980 and how their coach, Herb Brooks style, was one where he kind of broke down the players as a means to get them to, to kind of bond together against him and, and help build, I guess, a camaraderie amongst the guys. But I imagine that sort of style would be tougher to do at the NHL level than it would be with a bunch of kids when he did it back in 1980. Well, I mean, uh, you couldn't do that now. I mean, you couldn't coach the way I did now. Nowadays with the players, I mean, it's impossible. Uh, I think I don't know what's going on now. I really don't know. I think it's a lot different now than what it was in those days. Coaching is a lot tougher now. They have a lot of things now. I mean, uh, scientific things that, that they have, uh, you know, for the players and for the plays and all that. But in all, you really have to know your players. That's the big thing. That's the, the number one thing. And you got to be. I don't think it could be as tough as I was in those days. Mm-hmm. Today, yeah. as, uh, as I was in those days. Yeah, because I mean, there are two different aspects, I guess, of coaching. You have the X's and O's side of it, and then you have the the mental side where you're trying to get the most out of your players. Right, that's true. Yeah, there's no question about that. Who was one of the more more challenging guys for you to coach as uh, during your time with the Islanders? Was there any guy in particular that uh, was challenging for you to try to get the most out of? I think the guy that was most challenging as the guy that had the most talent was Dennis Bodbeck. He's the type of guy that could really handle everything. He could handle the the, the tough going, and he could handle it. Uh, I used to have to yell at him all the time every game. Otherwise, uh, he wouldn't play very well. And uh, I got to know that, and I used to just. Uh, give it to him all the time, and uh, finally, he, he hated my guts. I, I don't blame him at all. He hated my guts. Right. I don't blame him. I was on him continually, but uh, 
uh, at the end, he realized what I was doing, what I was trying to do, trying to get the best out of him, and I did get the best out of him. Was another part of that him being maybe arguably the best player on the team, having other members of the team see you getting, uh, being so hard on the team's best player kind of made other guys kind of step up their effort or their game a little bit? Was that part of the, the reasoning behind it? Well, I think it was part of the reasoning, but it wasn't all the reasoning. I think that, you, you know, uh, Dennis was the type of guy that uh, you had to get on his back and he had the ability and he had to get Matt to really play. Right. And when he got mad, and you, I just wring my hands and say, "Oh, it's in the bag right now. We're all set." <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in 1996, you get inducted into uh, the Builders category of the Hockey Hall of Fame. That had to have been a great honor for you. I was no question about it. It was. It was a great honor to be asked. Even thought about being in there. Who was in that class of '96 that you had an opportunity to kind of go through the the ceremony and all that with? Uh, gosh, I don't remember at all. <laughs> That's a long time ago. <laughs> well, you probably remember this. If, it was only a few years back in uh, 2007. The Alders had you back to coach uh, a single game at the Nassau Coliseum against the, the Pittsburgh Penguins so you could get that 1,500th games coached in your career. Uh, now, that had to have been a special day also. Oh, there's no question about that. It was a very special day. And, and I didn't do much coaching, but I didn't know the players, you know. And I, I kind of figured, well... <laughs> I told Tim Nolan, uh, he was the one that was responsible for my coaching the team. Right. I told him it was up to him to, to coach the team. It's not up to me. Now, but when you well, we'll find out. We'll find out when you get there. Right. Now, when you were behind the bench, did, I'm sure you went into it with that kind of feeling. But when you got behind the bench, did your did the adrenaline start to flow a little bit? You kind of got yourself. Well, uh, uh, there's no question. The adrenaline started to flow, and by the third period, I was into the game very well. <laughs> But at the beginning, I didn't know what was going on. Right. I didn't it's, know the players. It's funny how I'm sure, though, when you get, like you said, by the third period, you're probably fully engrossed like you hadn't missed a beat back there in your head, right? <laughs> no, but the third period, I was fine. That's great. That's great. The way the game is today, do you think there can be another dynasty, the way the Alders and then the, the Oilers after you guys, with free agency and all the player movement today and, and the money involved in the game? Uh, I would imagine it's going to be a lot tougher to see teams like the Islanders were in the early 80s. Uh, I... Uh, I don't think. I think it is. Uh, it's going to happen somewhere down the line. There's no question. You, about you that. think it's still possible, even with all the player movement and such? Uh, it's going to be very hard to do now. There's free agency. Uh, there wasn't too many of that in those days. There wasn't too many in our day. And the free agency, and the money they make nowadays, they make more than the coaches. Yeah. And it's really tough now to uh, to really get on their back because they say, "Well, the hell with you. I'm going to go." Money, you know? That's got to so, be tough uh, for a coach. It's a yeah. Tougher. Oh, it's going to be really tough for a coach nowadays. I mean, I guess that's true in all sports today, but I guess, like you said, each era has their own challenge in terms of getting the most out of their players and, and being successful as a coach. Well, I was successful then, but I don't know about today. I don't know. I, I don't think I could handle that. <laughs> it's more like the players couldn't handle you, I think, is what it's really about. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> do, you, do you still follow the game today? You've been watching the Olympics? Yes, I certainly have. You've been following the Islanders? What do you think uh, of their team this year? Yeah, They've been struggling, of course. they got Tavares now, and they're starting to maybe things maybe looking up for them? Well, I think the, the young kids ran out of gas, and, and uh, I think he, mm -hmm. he's, he's a great player. There's no question about that. He's a good-sized player, and he's a good, good player, and he handles the puck very, very well, but I think he ran out of gas. You know, those young players, look at, look at the guy in Tampa this year. Last year, he couldn't play. Mm -hmm. He was off, for the, and he only played on the weekends at the end of the season. And he didn't do anything at all. And this year he's got about 40 goals. I mean, 40 goals. It's fine. I think the game is, so, is it more physical today than it was maybe 20 years ago? Is it a tougher grind? Are these guys just so well, young that just not strong enough it, yet? 
I don't think it's not, not physical enough. It's it's a, it's, it's a skating game nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of skating. It's like European style hockey. The only skate, the hitting is on the boards, and on, you know, right, right. The goaltender. By the time they change the rules, somebody's going to get hurt very seriously, and by then they change the rules. With the goaltenders, people in front of the, the net. Goaltenders, or, or if they want to get somebody, they're going to get somebody. They're blowing out there all the time, and if he wants to get somebody, he's going to get somebody at the end of the boards. You know, the only place in our day you used to hit an open ice. Now, very few open ice hits. It's all skating now. So I mean, you can I... certainly skate better than us. <laughs> So you think that's probably a big reason why Tavares is kind of slowing down the conditioning and, and probably just needs to get stronger. He's still a young kid. He probably just needs to increase his strength a little bit. Oh, he's going to be a great player. I think that's all he needs is time. Time will tell, and uh, he has to increase his strength. He's going to get stronger as he goes along, and he's going to be a great player. There's no question about that. Now, of course, you probably know the, the controversy uh, up here surrounding the team and, and whether or not they're going to stay on Long Island. Do you, do you think the Islanders are going to find a way, or Charles Wong and, and their ownership group is going to find a way to keep this team on Long Island? Well, I hope uh, I hope they find a way to keep it on Long Island. It deserves to stay on Long Island. I think that the, you know, the, the better the players. And I don't know what's going on there. I'm not really uh, up to date on that. Right. But I just hope that they, uh, they stay on Long Island because they deserve a team on Long Island. The people are great there. Well, Al, listen, it's been a pleasure to get a chance to talk with you just uh, a little bit here on the show tonight. I really appreciate you giving me some time. I just want to wish you good health and continued success and whatever the future holds for you, and, and let's hope the Islanders stay here on Long Island for many years to come. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Al. Thank you.